walking all alone growing comfortable are you too scared to move and walk out of this tomb buried underneath the lies that you believed safe and sound stuck in the ground too lost to be found you're just asleep and it's time to leave come on and someone across the room let them know you're glad they're here You give 
for this time to come together and worship, that your name is glorified in this place today, that your name is lifted high above all else in our lives. We give you all of the praise and all of the glory. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again, my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my 
you give him your all? Would you let him be Lord of every single part of your life? Not just Sundays, but every single part of your life. Christ alone.
person. And I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life. Cause all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God all my life, cause all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, oh I will sing of the goodness. Sing your goodness, cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now, I give you everything. Cause your goodness is running after, it's running after so, so good, with every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life, cause all my life you 
As we look at the skies, we look at the mountains, we, how can we not but declare the glory of our God? The fact that you're here this morning should cry the glory and the grace and the mercy of God. So, Father, we praise you. We turn our hearts towards you this morning, our minds, our thoughts towards you this morning, and we say, Holy Spirit, come have your way. We are open and we are ready to hear from you this morning, God. Thank you for loving us, for giving us a place where we belong, a place surrounded by people that, that seek you just like we do. That we don't have to run this race alone, that you've surrounded us with an awesome family here at this church and believers all across the world that are chasing after you in your name and your glory. Move in this place, Father. You're welcome here. Touch each heart this morning. Holy Spirit, do what you can do. Do what only you can do. That we would be open and attentive to what you have for us this morning, God. We give you all the praise and all of the glory. Family, if you can agree with that, would you say amen? Would you turn and greet someone this morning? Let them know you are glad they are here. That this is where they belong.
good morning, church. How are you? I gave Duke this microphone this morning, so he was running around, and he never know if it's going to work after Duke gets his hands on it. But isn't it good to be in church? You know, where else would you rather be? There's no sport. There's no event. There's no barbecue. That beats gathering in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, uh, if you would, just do me a favor. Everybody, look right here on the front row. This is Dan and Lindy. Hi, Dan and Lindy. They moved to Texas. Say hi. They're a longtime part of this church. It's good to see you guys. They look happy in Texas. I'm still mad that you left. We love you guys. Great to see you this morning. Thanks for being here uh, on your vacation. I know that the beach is beautiful, but God is greater, and that's why you're here this morning. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we want to go ahead and dismiss the kids. If they are still hanging on with us, you guys can go ahead and take off to your class this morning. I see some of my junior highs going. You're going as leaders to help, right? Not be distractions. Miss Karen, you tell me, and I'll come get them. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning. Those of you who are in the building, those watching online, we want to make sure we welcome you. If there's anyone new for the first time, we have those connect cards in the seat back in front of you. Fill one of those out so we can get in touch with you. It's also where you can write down prayer requests so our staff can be praying for you guys as well. So make sure to fill one of those out. Uh, we just got back, uh, a few of us got back from youth camp last week, and we had an awesome time. Uh, the video is not ready for you today. You saw a little snip of it last week, uh, but the video is still being prepared. A lot of our leaders do youth camp, then we came back and we had a day off, then we were right into VBS. How many of you know we're blessing the socks off the kids in this community uh, for the last two weeks, uh, and now some of us need to take a breather? But we had an awesome time at youth camp. We're going to show a video about it next week, but I just wanted to share with you um, uh, really what's so special about what we get to do at a youth camp. Uh, we, t we took a group of 22 of us up the, up, uh, up the five free. It was a new spot this year, and I didn't know what it was going to look like. I saw, I saw pictures of it online, but that's always risky, <laughs> right? And as we're driving up there, I looked at my wife, and I said, Oh, Lord, please let this spot be at least adequate for what we need it to be. And we got there, and the Lord blessed our socks off. The, the, the place was bigger and better than the pictures could show. The kids had uh, such a great time from the game room. Uh, they found a lot of fun just playing with the inner tubes that we blew up. We brought 25 inner tubes with us where they had to do various games, and they had an indoor pool. We were just so blessed, and I was like, okay, God is good, right? God does hear you. God is good, and his favor rests upon us. And, uh, and up, in the, up in the mountains, the first night, we talked about letting go of whatever's holding you back. With all the distractions of just getting out of school and all the things that we have going on, we talked about letting go of what's holding us back from chasing after God with everything that we are. And then day two, we talked about how to trust in God, and day three was what that means is how we're going to follow him and how to live that out. And we just had an amazing time together together. Uh, Kids that sometimes you don't, uh, you don't get to see all the time show up for summer camp. Uh, kids that need a little extra attention from some of the male leaders uh, in, a, in a yardstick. But we had such a great time in, in the fellowship between these kids. Have you ever been around a group of 20 teenagers and not had drama? But what a supernatural blessing. These kids were so awesome. So thank you for sending uh, your youth group kids with us. Thank you. There was many of you that sponsored kids that wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. So we're so grateful that you guys were able to do that. And we'll share more with you next week. But I just wanted to say a giant thank you to all of our leaders and the staff that made that happen. And then you guys that gave towards that to make it happen as well. So give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you guys very much.
I'm sure next week, Pastor Beth will have some more information or some more uh, uh, things to say about our kids' VBS, but we had three days of just an awesome time here at the church ministering to kids that uh, go to this church, but also they invited friends and, and people from the community. So what a great time that was. Several kids gave their lives to the Lord, and I'm sure uh, Miss Beth will share more about that next week, but what a blessing that was. Uh, coming up for us, some announcements. Kids Camp, ages 7 through 8th grade. Uh, we have Kids Camp coming up July 12th and 13th. You can sign up online or at the Kids Information Table back there. It's a great time where we have a pool party. We have a lock-in here at the church, and they get to camp out and hang out and have a good time, and we share the Word of God with them as well. Um, and the last announcement I have for you this morning is some of you have probably heard about the movie that's coming out. I think it opens tomorrow called Sound of Freedom. Um, it's a movie that I wanted to, uh, that we wanted you guys to be aware of. It stars Jim Caviezel, who's the one that played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. Uh, and it's an incredible true story of a former government agent turned vigilante who embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue hundreds of children from the sex trafficking industry. Uh, in there, I watched an interview with Jim Caviezel and how it really took everybody that was part of this had to be willing to really buck the system against Hollywood because this is something that Hollywood wants to keep suppressed. How much of this actually goes on and he was, he's willing to shine a light on it and he feels like this was part of what God has called him to do. Um, it, was, was, it was in this role to expose what's going on and shine a light on it because there's a lot more people that believe like him, that believe in God and believe that there's things that we can do to change what is going on. We don't just have to accept what's going on for these kids and we can change the world for the better through the gospel of Jesus and by taking a stand in, in prayer as well. So uh, that movie's called Sound of Freedom. I think it opens tomorrow uh, so we want to encourage you guys to go see that when you have a chance. It's based on a true story, uh, and it will be a very impactful movie. And I'm not sure how long it's actually going to be out. If Hollywood has its way, I don't imagine it would be out for very long. So go support these guys. It was a, I think it's a Christian publishing company that did it as well. So go support them. Go see that movie, and, and it'll impact you in a great way. Um, we do want to give you a chance to give this morning. We have our uh, ushers are in the aisles as well. Uh, you can give online. You guys know all the ways that you have ability to do that. Uh, and along with the offering this morning, I got a prayer request uh, that we want to, uh, to bring you guys in in agreement with. Um, Maria, who works a lot of the stuff on the screens for us back there, has a friend named R Romana who has been here before. Uh, and they let me know that Romana's 26-year-old son, Alex, uh, was diagnosed with lymphoma. So they found a bunch of, of cancer in his body. And Romana instantly reached out to Maria and said, your church prays. <laughs> your church prays, and she asked us to join with them in prayer uh, over Alex in this situation. Um, that I'm not sure if Alex is a believer, so we're just going to intercede on his behalf as well. Let's let let's let, let God do His uh, miracle working power through this situation to guide the doctors through this family, uh, so that He can just see the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our heavenly Father, and His life would never be the same. 26 is too young. 26 is too young. God, God promises us a long life that will be satisfying. It says, with long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. That's the goodness and the promise of our God. So along with the offering this morning, we're going to pray for Alex. Father, you are so good. And you know the hearts of everyone involved in this, God. You know Alex's heart. You know Romana's heart. but how good you are, Heavenly Father. That you sent your word and healed them, healed us, healed him. Holy Spirit, touch his heart right now.
that he would come to know you and your goodness and your mercy. And the simple fact that they're asking for a church that prays shows that there's some faith there. And your word says that you don't need much. Just that we would believe and that we would ask. So God, we call forth his healing in the name of Jesus. We curse this lymphoma and cause it to die now by your precious blood, Jesus. Oh, the name, the name, the name. The name that is greater, the name that is higher. Satan, get your hands off this young man. You are not welcome here. He is not yours. Oh, with just a grain of mustard seed. Just a mustard seed size faith. So God, we call it forth that you would minister to him right now, that you would give him and his mom wisdom, that you would give them direction, that you would give them your peace that passes all understanding. And then above all, they would hold fast to your report that says, I am healed. Your report that says, I am made new. That in the face of the doctors, no matter what they may say, that your word is higher and your name is greater. Minister to them right now, God. Father, we join with them and thank you and ask you for supernatural recovery that the lymphoma is cursed and dies in the name of Jesus. That this man would live a long life on this earth giving praise and glory to the name of Jesus. The one that changes hearts, the one that changes lives, the one that heals bodies. So, Father, we thank you. And every time we think of Alex this week, we're going to thank you. Every time we think of Romana this week, we're going to thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your healing power and your ministering angels that have gone forth to accomplish this work. We call it done, Heavenly Father. And we give you all of the praise. Father, we honor you. We thank you for the ability to give in tithes and give in offerings because you first gave to us. So how could we not but follow your word and give in return? All that we have that is good comes from you, Heavenly Father, so take this offering, take these tithes, multiply them so that your word goes around this world so that not one person wouldn't have the chance to know you. We give you all of the praise. Thank you for who you are our soon coming King, our mighty warrior Jesus. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Gentlemen, you may receive the offering. Family, if you would, would you stand and worship with us one more time? Praise you, praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Come on, our God is good, amen. We're going to declare this together this morning. You call us out from the depths into your freedom. Our chains are gone. No weapon form shall prevail. 
make our confession together. This is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power.
We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. I want you to realize he's talking about two things there. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. We are sometimes a little sloppy with our um, terms. The second coming of Jesus is not the rapture. The second coming of Jesus is when he comes back to the earth after the seven years of tribulation. But here where he's talking about our gathering together unto him, that's the rapture that he's referring to. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter is from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Apparently, there were those who did not agree with the uh, gospel of Jesus and the righteousness of God overcoming the law. And they would do things in dishonest um, ways to try to steer the people of God away from the truth. Apparently, there were people that would write letters and address them or claim they were written by Paul. But he said, even, even in that type of situation, don't let yourself be taken away from the truth. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away for first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That day that he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus. He's saying, don't think that Jesus is going to come back until there first comes a falling away. This word falling away is the word apostasy. And it refers, most of the time, it refers to people turning away from the word. But in this case, there are other words that Paul could have used that wouldn't, uh, that would mean rapture or catching away. But by the Holy Ghost, Paul used a word that can mean people sliding away from the truth as well as a word that refers to the rapture. That's always bugged me. But I finally just come to accept it for what it says. In the last days, there will be a fragment of, of well, I don't know how big it's going to be. I don't know what word to use because nothing, to, it, it's not like it's 50-50. But it is a significant portion of the church that will turn their back on the truth and turn their back on the word. When Paul was writing to Timothy and telling him about the condition of the church in the last days, one of the things that he 
instructed Timothy to do is preach the word. He said, for the time's coming when people won't adhere to or accept or believe in sound doctrine. So in the last days, we can expect part of the church to fragment and turn their back on the truth of what we know to be the truth of the word and the victory that it brings to us. But remember also that Jesus said that the church, or Paul said that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. And the glorious church that he refers to is a church operating in signs and wonders and miracles. So we're going to have both in the last days. And he reminds them that the tribulation can't come until the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God. That means the temple is going to have to be rebuilt, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And then he talks about the, the purpose for the church. And you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. It's the church that's holding the Antichrist back. I have a hard time believing that the Antichrist is not yet born and is not yet on the scene. Now we know from what Paul tells us as well that the devil is going to ramp up his activities in the last days. And that being the case, I think it's important for us to make sure we know what our foundations are. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, folks, the Bible tells us, Old and New Testament, it tells us that Satan rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him, and fought against God, and God cast him out of heaven, and imprisoned him on the earth. 
And God's perfect creation was one that man was here and had authority over the devil. Notice it says that he saw that it was very good. Creation was perfect. And a sign of that perfection or a part of that perfection is man is on the earth with authority over the devil. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. God made man as much like himself as is possible. Now what's impossible with God? Since God made man in his own image and after his own likeness, he made man a ruling being to rule over the earth just as he rules over the universe. Now this creation account is pretty remarkable. In Psalm 8, verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This word angels is the word Elohim. It literally means he made him a little lower than God. Which is what being created in the image and likeness of God is. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now Paul tells us, in the, I, I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews, and in the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, it tells us that this was an angel that was making this declaration. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? God made everybody aware in this creation account of his intent for mankind, for mankind's purpose in the earth, and that is to have dominion. And the angels are marveling at this. The Bible tells us that the angels would look into or prefer to be in mankind's position. Now, we think of angels as being mighty warriors and so forth and messengers of God and those things are true but they see the value of the position of mankind and the authority that's given to mankind and they consider that greater than what they have as angels Mark chapter 1, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, verse 14, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. When God created the earth prior to sin entering into the earth, it was a perfect creation. Man was in his position. Man had authority over the devil and dominion over the earth. The creation account that's given to us in Genesis chapter 1 identifies that God wasn't afraid of putting man here on the earth knowing that the devil was already here. It was the kingdom of God that was created. There was an abundance. There was no sickness or disease. There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. It was perfect. Now, when sin came into the picture, it lost its perfection. But we still know what perfection is in God's eyes. For man to conquer sin through the blood of Jesus, for man to Walk in victory over sickness and disease. It doesn't do away with the fact that there's a fight. And the Bible tells us that we are to fight the good fight of faith. That's really the only fight that the Bible identifies. Now in Matthew's account in chapter 6, it tells us that the disciples came to Jesus and asked him to teach them to pray. It makes mention of the fact that John's disciples taught them to pray. And so Jesus' disciples wanted him to t teach them how to pray. They must have seen fruit from Jesus' prayer life to want to be able to pray in like or similar manner. And so Jesus gave them what's called the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the disciples' prayer. But he identifies something there in a very specific way that's important for us to recognize. He taught them to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, which means it hadn't come yet at that point in time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Folks, the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done. And I think most people have an idea that the kingdom that's here on the earth is by and large the devil's kingdom. And we see him at work influencing governments and trying to hinder mankind in every way possible. But it is possible for us as individuals and, and it's possible for nations as well to operate in such a manner with the devil as to restore everything that God created in the manner in which he created it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here Jesus starts preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I spent a lot of my life thinking that the gospel is only the good news that Jesus is the Savior. But that's not what Jesus means here. When Mark says that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, it's the good news, but not good news concerning Jesus, per se. Good news concerning the will of God to be done on the earth. Very few times do we have a record of where Jesus revealed to the people he was talking to that he was the Messiah or the Christ. This became a real important point for me when I began to see a little bit of light on there. The Bible tells us that pretty much from the beginning, not exactly the beginning, but pretty much the beginning of his ministry, he wound up sending out the disciples into other places that he would come. What did they, what did they preach? What did they tell the, the people that came to hear him? I thought for a long time that it, they must have told, told them or they must have told the people that Jesus was the Christ. But it was only when Jesus, after three and a half or so years of ministering, it was only after right at the end of his ministry before he went to Jerusalem to be crucified that the disciples admitted that he was the Christ. Well, if they've been preaching that he was the Christ, then why, is, why does Jesus ask them, what have you been, or what do you believe about me? I'm trying to do this without turning to it, and it's not working. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, or 16 rather. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now why would Jesus ask them, Who do you say I am? If he, had, if he had already instructed them to go before him into the towns and the villages that he was planning to go to, if they were out there preaching and telling everybody that they're preaching to that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if that's what Jesus had sent them to do, then why is he asking them now who do you say I am? And why does he make such a big deal of the revelation if he's been telling them all along that he is the Christ? There were a lot of places where Jesus would minister healing or delivering power to somebody and then tell them not to tell anybody who did it. Now, I've heard people try to explain that away by saying that Jesus was using reverse psychology on them with the idea that if he told them not to tell people that he was the Messiah because it was forbidden fruit, so to speak, he knew that they would do it. But that doesn't hold a lot of credibility with me. Jesus isn't playing games here. He asked him literally, specifically, truthfully, who do you say I am? Peter answers for the group, we hope, and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the rock that he's talking about building the church on isn't Peter. The rock that the church is built upon is the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If the church is built on the, the rock that is the meaning of Peter's name, then the righteousness of the church would only go as far as Peter's righteousness. So he says, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven... And upon this rock, the knowledge of Christ, Jesus being the Christ, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. 
when Jesus says upon this rock the knowledge that he is the Messiah. The very next thing he does is he talks about authority. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now why is he comparing the authority that he's given the disciples? Notice he calls it the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In this instance, it's not true in every case, but in many it is. But in this instance, the kingdom of heaven could be an interchangeable term with the kingdom of God. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And one of the ways that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church is because of these keys of the kingdom of God. What are the keys? Well, specifically binding and loosing. He's really saying that because Jesus is the Christ with the knowledge that we have that Jesus is the Son of God, we can restore the kingdom of God here on the earth. It stands to reason that Jesus' definition of the kingdom of God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't have two different wills. He doesn't will one thing for man here on the earth and will something else for him in heaven. God never changes. And God is no respecter of person. So whatever he wants for people in heaven, and we know that that is only good. I've never had anybody ask me if, if there's any sickness in heaven or poverty in heaven. We just naturally accept that heaven is a place of only good things. Well, clearly the devil came and muddied the waters. And it goes without saying that we have to identify and deal with his deception or the ways that he would hinder us. But God wants his will to be done here on the earth more than we want it to be done for us. And so Jesus started by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He started by preaching that God wants his will to be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Well, we'll back up to verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place 
And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. So apparently he's got a, a ministry plan that's going to take him to other places. But the people that were with him in this place tries to keep him with them, to stay with us. And he said unto them, verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Jesus is still preaching the kingdom of God. He's still preaching that God wants things to be done here on the earth just as they are in heaven. Earlier in this fourth chapter of Luke, verse 16, Jesus preaches in Nazareth where he had been brought up. From Isaiah 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Jesus claims to be anointed. And he tells them, after he finds the, the place in Isaiah's writings that we just referred to, he tells them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So he identifies himself as anointed to heal the sick, but he doesn't tell them that he is the Messiah. Now there may be some indication with the language that's used that we would recognize coming from the position that we're in now but I don't think it's too likely that the people from what he said accepted the fact that well they rejected it actually they rejected the idea that he was the Christ But here's Jesus preaching the gospel. And the gospel is not the good news that he's the Christ. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God can be accomplished here on the earth. We know in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 28 and 29, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the word one is in italics in verse 29. It means the translators added it with the intent of helping us to understand what's being said. But that's not really what it means. Notice they're astonished at his doctrine, not astonished at him. For he taught them as having authority and not as described. The word has, the word as is a preposition that deals with 
the manner in which something is done. In other words, it means how. And the word having means to hold. For he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Folks, think about that for a minute. That's it. Jesus taught people how to have authority or how to hold authority. Maybe that means how to use authority. Well, we know how to use authority is the same way God used authority when he created the earth. He spoke. You hold and exercise authority by speaking God's word. Now, Jesus, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 apostles, disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he gives them power over sickness and evil spirits. He gives them power to set people free and to heal the sick. And he tells them to go and preach the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It seems that Jesus is making a concerted effort to let people know that the healing power of God or the delivering power of God is a part of the kingdom of God. It's a part of God's will being done in the earth, just like it is in heaven. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Then chapter 10, verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. And he tells them, how to conduct themselves in these cities. Verse 8, And into whatsoever city you enter, and if they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Here's another evidence, a proof text that identifies that healing is a part of the kingdom of God. But into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now here in Nazareth, the people wind up rejecting 
Jesus and the anointing that he was given to heal and deliver. But notice what he says. Even if people, individuals, or a city, even if people fail to receive or fail to believe, that Jesus is sent to bring the kingdom of God to bear on their behalf. And then he makes this point, notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So whether they reject it or accept it, it's an established fact that the healing power of God is part of his kingdom. Now the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter two, it says that he's trans God has translated the church into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, that would be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? You know, when we put ourselves in a position to accept God's healing power, we're doing the will of God. If we see in the word that God's healing power is available to us, even if we reject it, it doesn't change the fact, the truth, that the kingdom of God includes healing and deliverance. Brother Hagen used to teach a pretty good bit on the believer's authority. And the examples that he used was as a traffic cop who stands in the intersection without the power to stop even the smallest car. But the authority to direct traffic as he wills. And he gave some examples, some experiences that he had. There was one guy, for example, that worked in the oil fields back in, I guess it would be in the 1930s or 40s. And this guy fell down into the machinery and it crushed him. Word got out and Brother Hagen came out to the oil field and there, was, uh, there were a lot of doctors and ambulances and things like that. And they were afraid to move him to the hospital because they felt like he was too weak to make the trip. But the people there, his family, gathered around with Brother Hagen. And so they prayed 
and the ambulance wound up taking him to the hospital and they had him wired up with whatever they knew to do back then. And Brother Hagen had, had an experience in prayer concerning this man's life and his recovery. He was the Sunday school superintendent for the church, for Brother Hagen's church. And so Brother Hagen, during the middle of the night, he stayed with him overnight. And during that time, he went out into the hallway and he just said, Lord, I'm not going to let him go. He said, in explaining the experience, he didn't know why he did that. Looking back at it, he felt like he was impressed by the Holy Spirit to do that, but he wasn't aware of it at the time. And there were a couple of times where Brother Hagen had dozed off to sleep and had been awakened by the nurse pushing around his chair to get to the bed to see what was going on with this guy. Brother Hagen, almost in a panic, woke up and said, what happened? What's wrong? Is he alive? And the nurse said, yeah, he is. I didn't think he was for a minute there. And so Brother Hagen went back out in the hall and he did the same thing. He prayed the same prayer that he had before. Lord, I'm just not gonna let him go. I need him. The church needs him. If I need him, then you need him. Well the, well, the guy wound up making a miraculous recovery. And after a period of time, they released him from the hospital. And so Brother Hagen had him testify to the church. And this man said that during the time that he was unconscious, he was caught up into heaven he said, I was just about to bow down before Jesus' feet and tell him what a wonderful thing it was to see him. But Jesus stopped him and said, you'll have to go back. And he said, I don't want to go back. And Jesus said, you'll have to go back. Brother Hagin won't let you come. Well, that was something that got around. The fame of that experience got around a pretty good bit. And Brother Hagin said that it spurred him on to study even further about believers, the believer's authority. Well, I've never had an experience like that. And so the exercise of our authority, I've never had a, a condition that was similar to that experience of Brother Hagen. But there have to be other ways for us to exercise authority here in the earth, whether it's just for ourselves or for other people. The experience I had earlier this year, several months ago, 
was something that, well, I, I can't explain sufficiently how much it meant to me. But at the end of February, I had a stroke. Actually, I had three strokes, they wound up telling me not long ago. And there are three parts of the brain. There's the left side, the right side, and the front, the cerebellum. They told me that I had a stroke in all three of the, the brain sections. And when I came to myself, I didn't know for a bit what had happened. I didn't know what was going on when it happened. But as soon as I came out of whatever they had me on, I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was a sedative or what. But as soon as I came out, I was in the hospital room with other people. There were nurses and a doctor was there and there was somebody else in the semi-private room. There was another patient in there. And I just said to the Lord, talking to myself, I'm talking to him by myself, quietly. I just said to the Lord, how? And he said to me, I have a hedge of protection around your life. And the way that he told me, it wasn't in words. It all happened instantly. And I knew that the way that the hedge of protection was around my life was in the songs that I had sung as I exercised my faith toward the Parkinson's situation I've been dealing with for some time. Now, one of the things that was special about that to me is because the devil always tells you you're not doing enough. And that was one of the things that he had always bothered me about. I'm not a singer. If you heard me sing, you'd understand why I'm not a singer. But I am almost constantly singing these little spiritual songs that I learned in Bible school about being healed and delivered. There are some scriptures that the Lord has given me at different times 
throughout my life that have turned out to be well I'm not sure how to say this my songs of deliverance have become my foundation the foundation of my faith John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. P.C. Nelson was a Greek scholar and he was talking to the, uh, a group of ministers, Brother Hagin being one of them. And he said that the words that are used or the way that they're used adds much greater meaning to what he's saying than what we give him credit for. If you abide in my words, abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He said that the Lord is very simply saying If you ask for something that I don't have, I'll make it. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Well, that was the qualification. If you abide in me and my words abide or dwell in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's one way for the word to dwell in you. Now, folks, I'm just a simple man. I know that there are some people that make a big part of their ministry telling about themselves. Well, that's not a part of the thing that makes me that makes me up. I'm not made that way. I know what God has for me to do. I know in part, how to do it. But no part of anything God has given me is attached to some title or some claim that I could make. Some scriptures that the Lord gave me back when I was in Bible school before I ever came out, before I ever knew I was going to come out here to start a church. 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For my words are life unto those that find them and their health to all their flesh. Folks, I can tell you for certain that the word of God has been health to my flesh. That doesn't mean everything has gone the way I wanted it to go. Doesn't mean I've never been attacked. But I've come to find out by experience Not the kind of experience Brother Hagen had with the guy that fell down into the oil well. But I'm living the experience of abiding in him and his word abiding in me. How can you rightly emphasize how important it is to speak the word of God? I've found the power of God as it restores to my health, restores me to divine health. One of the things Brother Hagin used to say that always ministered to me so much. Is he said that he just simply goes out and preaches what he's experienced of God. Well, I can attest to that too. I'm just telling you what works for me. I can see why it worked because of what the scripture says in Colossians 3.16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We need to have a song on our lips all the time. Even if nobody else hears it. Thank God we've been translated into the kingdom of God. Where healing and deliverance dwell.
God wants things to be better for us than we want for ourselves. He's the one that came up with this kingdom of God stuff. Folks, if the devil's going to redouble his efforts, then there's never been a time in the history of the world when it's more important for us to know who we are and what belongs to us and to live according to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If you ask for something God doesn't have, he'll make it. Because if we honor his word, if we live our lives based on his word, then he's willing to go all out to see that we have what we have. We have what we ask. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for sustaining us, for defending us. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done. We thank you for restoring us to divine health. Thank you for delivering us from the influence of the evil one. Lord, you said that in this day the day of the church you said you would lift the burden from our shoulders and take the yoke off our neck and the yoke should be destroyed because of the anointing Father, we believe we receive the anointing that breaks the yoke. We believe we receive the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage, the yoke of sickness and disease. We thank you, Father, that you deliver us by your word. You said because we set our love upon you, you deliver us. You said you set us on high because we've known your name. When we call upon you, you'll answer us. 
you'll be with us in trouble. With long life, you satisfy us and show us your salvation. We worship you, Father. Father, if it had not been for your word, we would have lost hope. But your word never fails. Father, if we go down, it'll be because your word goes down, because we are standing on your word. We love you, Jesus. We love you for what you did to redeem us. Bless you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Well, let's all stand together. Holy Spirit, help us. Lead us to the scriptures that we need to stand upon. Show us the scriptures that we need to speak. We love you, Father. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day. Yeah.